Uh, We're going to read a passage of scripture, and then we're going to dig in in this storytelling, summer storytelling series. Um, I sent out a text to the church community this morning. By the way, if you're not getting texts and you've ever introduced yourself and you're not on the pilgrim list, you can fill out a welcome card in the back and introduce yourself to us and get all that goodness coming your way weekly as well. Um, I said, yeah, summertime storytelling series, I think of s'mores. And I said, you bring the s'mores, we'll bring the fire. Hallelujah. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. Um, I want to read to you first from the text. And then we're going to go through this a bit verse by verse and then draw some applications out. This story uh, reveals some of the uniqueness of who God is and the uniqueness with, of God within the Jewish Christian tradition. And I think this is important to wrestle with because there's some, some really interesting things going on in this passage. And this is a very famous story of Jacob. Um, and Jacob and Esau were twin brothers. Jacob was born slightly after Esau, but he was grabbing at his heel. And so he got the name Jacob because he was grabbing at the heel of his brother. The other backstory of this is, of course, Jacob and Esau have this sibling rivalry that goes through their life or their early life for sure. And now Jacob wants to reconcile, and he's been sending ahead, uh, trying to return back to the land where Esau is. He's been sending ahead his family, his livestock, his wealth to sort of break the ice uh, with Jacob, or excuse me, with his older brother uh, uh, Esau. There's a story of him stealing Esau's, or, or finagling rather, Esau's blessing from their father, and a whole bunch of stuff with that. So there's a bunch of backstory here of Jacob manipulating and clawing and trying to get a blessing in various ways. And so we pick up the story here with Jacob about to try to reconcile with Esau after years. And this is the evening before, and he sent ahead uh, servants, and he sent ahead goodwill and trying to sort of soften Esau's heart, as it were, by his gestures. And yet Esau is coming his way with 400 armed men, he learns. And now this is the day before, the, the, the night before, and this is where we pick up the story. Okay, sorry. So here we start, verse 22 in Genesis chapter 23. And it says this, During the night, Jacob quickly took his two wives and his two female, two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok, River Jabbok, which also play on word, by the way, with Jacob and Jabbok, both in English and Hebrew. And he took them, verse 23, and sent them across the stream along with all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. Then a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not defeat Jacob, he struck the socket of his hip, so that the socket of Jacob's hip was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Verse 26, then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. And Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked him, what is your name? And he answered, Jacob, no longer will your name be Jacob, the man told him, but Israel, because you have fought with God and with men, and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, please tell me your name. Why do you ask my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. And so Jacob named the place Peniel, explaining, certainly I have met God face to face and have survived. And the sun rose over him as he crossed over Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. And that is why to this day the Israelites do not eat the sinew which is attached to the socket of the hip because he struck the socket of Jacob's hip near the attached sinew. Let's pray. Lord, um, as we are in the storytelling series today, we want to wrestle with these 
different stories, true parables, otherwise that we read in Scripture. And Lord, as this has informed your people throughout the millennium, I pray that today we would may, maybe engage with this text in a way that could bring some life to our circumstances. And Lord, I pray that we would learn more about your character and about how we can live in that flourishing way. So God, I know I can, on a good day, maybe persuade somebody, but ultimately I know that only your Holy Spirit can touch hearts and move minds and also in our embodied experience call us and draw us to you and to live differently. So Holy Spirit, illuminate the word today. Do what only you can do as you've already been moving in worship and prayer and the relationships that this church has in so many different webs. Continue that work in this time as we join with the ancients the first day of the week to declare our allegiance in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, be seated this morning. I want to start with a couple quotes and then uh, dig into this story a little more, all right? In picking the stories for this series, I've been trying to kind of rotate a bit between the Old Testament Hebrew Bible and the New Testament, the New Covenant writings as well, and between ones that might be more historical, biographical, and ones that might be more parabolic. Um, So we're, we're kind of going through different ones here. But hear this from Brother Roger of blessed memory from the Tazy community. And he said this, it is our resistance to what we experience that makes creativity possible. It is our resistance to what we experience that makes creativity possible. So don't get rid, I have a typo in my notes, it's don't get right, it's no, it's don't get rid of resistance by going around it or trying to eliminate it. I said to myself, go on seeking and be glad for being sensitive. Be glad you're able to go beyond the resistance inside of you. And then I'm going to be referencing a lot from Boyd, Greg Boyd in this, who I really appreciate his stuff. Don't agree with him on everything, but really like and have been influenced by him and others uh, uh, in that sort of relational camp over the years. He writes this in a wonderful book that I've referenced again and again, and I'm going to reference today as well, uh, Benefit of the Doubt is the name of the book. And he says this biblical faith, biblical faith is grounded in authenticity Biblical faith is covenantal, and biblical faith is about faithful living, or what we might say, loving allegiance, faithful living in the face of uncertainty. I like this, uh, because I think almost anyone who reads Scripture across the belief spectrum could agree with these statements. Biblical faith is grounded in authenticity. Biblical faith is covenantal, relational, committed. Biblical faith is about faithful living in the face of uncertainty. So this is one of these famously odd and strange stories. Jacob wrestling with this man who then reveals himself to be more than just a normal man. He wrestles with the Lord all night long. I like how Boyd also put it. It tells us something about the nature of faith in the Bible that like so many stories in the Bible, they raise questions that they don't answer. This story also not only is a story of wrestling and a play on the word of striving and fighting, but it's also inviting us right now into this wrestling posture ourselves as we read it. Because there's many different things that can be drawn from it, and it doesn't tie it all up in a neat little bow at the end. 
And I know some of us have been trained that that's what we always want. Please, always tie things up in a neat bow for me. That's what I want from a sermon. I don't want that from a sermon. I want a sermon to provoke me, to provoke me into being a better human and to engage with my neighbor and to engage with God in a loving way and to wrestle with the complexities of creation. We're told here that this... uh, Example, we're not told, for example, in this story that how Jacob's wrestling partner has the power to give himself an advantage by dislodging or doing something to Jacob's hip and with his mere tap of his finger and yet wasn't able to overpower him. So we hear that intention in this story. There's other things in tension in this story, but that's certainly a major one. A more likely explanation is that the story is being told from the perspective of Jacob Of course, the omnipotent Lord could have overpowered Jacob any time he wanted to if, this is from Boyd, if this is what he had wanted to do. God could have overpowered Jacob at any time if that's what the Lord wanted to do. And I submit to you today that the thesis of this sermon, oh wait, I shouldn't say thesis, not in church, sorry. Uh, The main idea, the big idea in this sermon is this, that God doesn't necessarily want to overpower us. In fact, God wants us to engage in wrestling faith. If you get anything from what I'm about to unpack today, it's that, that the authentic faith, the covenantal faith is wrestling faith. And it's stories like this. And the story of Job as well indicates this in the Hebrew Bible, that this is an authentic faith. In fact, we might say when Jacob in the story gets the new name of Israel or Israel, that this is a move from a Jacob faith wanting certainty about his future, certainty about the relationship with his brother, certainty that things are going to go well when he crosses the river and meets Esau, certainty that he can control through gifts and manipulation and through continue to grasp and connive and all the things that he did and was known for as that kind of heel grabber before to mature into an Israelite faith where we live into the tension and we wrestle and there we encounter God who wants to encounter us Many times, and most of the time, on our own terms, right here, right now. And so, we look at the story here tonight, again, versus tonight, this morning. Jacob, it was tonight, for us, it's this morning. The Lord didn't want to overpower him. The Lord showed up at first as a regular man and wanted to appear to Jacob to be wrestling a foe that Jacob could even conceivably defeat. Think about that. So, let's look at the story again and pick up these questions before we get to our final points. Verses 22 through 25, we have the setting of the story. During the night, Jacob took his two wives. I'm not going to unpack all of the craziness about that within the ancient context. Let's just leave that there. Two wives, female servants, 11 sons, crossed the ford of Jacob, the river Jabbok, rather, sent them across, and the man wrestled with them till daybreak. The river here in the story, I think, functions just like we are hearing it right now. It functions as this liminal space. I like the word liminal. It was really buzzy like 10 years ago, but join with me. Say the word liminal with me if you're willing to play along. Liminal, 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 which is just a space, a transition space, a threshold space. If you invite me over to your house and I come in the door, I'm going to come in a door, I guess I, well, I probably wouldn't come through a window, but uh, come through the door of your house, that door frame, that threshold, that's a liminal space. I could stand in between and I would be both in and out or neither in or out uh, in both cases, but it is a transition space. In the spiritual life, there are times when we are drawn into liminal transitional spaces where God is trying to awaken us and bring us into something. This liminal space, the river Jabbok, symbolizes this liminal space, this threshold, this crossing over and in between, neither here nor there, transitional time. 
The church in North America is in a liminal space. This is not even in my notes. This is the good stuff, I guess. This is the, the, the spirit or at least whatever I ate last night. Um, th- this, this church in North America, our church in Pilgrim, we are in a liminal time between what experience to COVID, how we wrestle with all of the insane exposure of the nastiness that's been about in the larger church in North America. How will we be the people of God or will we, how, how do we respond to this? following a lot of Daniel Strickland stuff, and I just encourage you to follow her on Twitter and, and just some really prophetic words that the church needs to hear. But these thresholds, these liminal spaces, open new opportunities to understand who you are, who you're created to be. And oftentimes, we may come up to these thresholds, these liminal spaces, and we just turn around and go back because we're just not ready. We're familiar with the devil we know in ourselves. We don't necessarily want, what are we gonna, what's going to happen if I take that step? I don't know. And yet this river definitely symbolizes that and, and is, for him it is a real physical thing as well, obviously. If he goes forward, the relationship with his family will change, his relationship with Esau will change, and his future with how he understands the creator God will change. Like I said, there's a wordplay here. Jacob, Jabok, and Wrestle have similar sounds in Hebrew and so the author of our story, of our relating our story here, is tying together the actors, the place, and the action. The actors, the place, and the action. I love, love that. The personhood, the physical location. I was listening to a podcast about a local pastor who wrote a book on, on wine and spiritual formation and the French concept of placeness, somewhereness. I can't speak French at all. Uh, I know I'm going to fail my immigrant Canadian life experience. See, look, I've referenced it at least once. There you go. Obligatory reference to my status uh, again. Uh, <laughs> but beautiful, I was listening to him talk about this, this the somewhereness, the placeness of this. Well, this is brought into this story as well. And Jacob didn't know who this assailant was at first, and the assailant did not identify himself as the story starts. And it's in darkness that Jacob encounters this man, and not knowing what would happen with his family trying to unite with Esau. And it tells us they fought until weariness in these first few verses. But Jacob held on to his opponent. And what do we make of the limp here in this initial situation here before verse 26? What do we make of this? Is it a, a sign maybe that what the world counts as weakness, God counts as strength? Could it be that Jacob needed to be, well, to use our modern language, and I might murder this a little bit, he was now becoming differently abled by the will and work of wrestling with God. Think about that. That how God often speaks to us is through those things that our cultures or our culture tells us, that's weakness, avoid that. We all know, well, if you've been a Christian for a long time or you've read scripture somewhat, you know Paul talks about this in Corinthians, when he, in 2 Corinthians, and somebody will pick up back with this because we didn't get quite to this path, but he talks about this idea that, that God's strength is made perfect in human weakness. That when I am weak, then I am strong. That when all of the the categories and the credentials that the world says are important in the kingdom and God and God's economy, there's a different kind of power. If we align ourselves and choose the path of downward mobility, there is a strength of the Spirit of God in that. And so maybe this limp, we need to read through this, the sort of the the eyes of the Spirit, if we have eyes to see this different way of knowing. So was it cruel or was it empowering? I don't know. I'm not going to answer it for you. Then the man said, verse 2, let me go. Dawn is breaking. I will not let you go, Jacob replied, unless you bless me. 
I like how Terence Fretheim, a great Old Testament scholar, says this. He says, The danger is not that God would be harmed by the daylight. Indeed, if we know anything about how God's revealed his light, certainly physical daylight isn't going to harm the Lord, right? Because he is light. The danger is not that God would be harmed by the daylight, but that Jacob would. He says this, if Jacob holds on until daybreak, he's a dead man. But Jacob holds on, he refuses to do so until he receives a blessing. And why would he say that? Well, because in Hebrew Bible it says earlier that no one can see the face of God and live. Of course, we know that God is moving the revelation forward. Eventually, we do see the clearest picture of the face of God we will receive until the great whatever the next thing is in Jesus. But he wrestles with him. He says, no, I have to, you, I have to go. Daylight is coming. And the man asked him, what is your name? Verse 27, just walking through it again. He's resting by the riverbed. The man appears in Jacob's name has been varyingly translated as heel grabber, trickster, overreacher, supplanter. That's a good listing there. Heel grabber, trickster, overreacher, supplanter. And so this is interesting. If this man is God, God is asking him, say your name. Say your name. Isn't there some pop song some years ago like that? Okay. Say my name. Okay, I don't know. I don't even listen to pop music except for radio or in places or the gym. Jesus help me. Uh, But uh, here he says, what is your name? What is your name? What is he trying to do there? Well, think about this. Jacob has been known as this, this reacher, this grabber, this striver. He, he manipulated to receive a blessing that wasn't supposed to be his from his brother Esau. He, he, there was like this whole line of things. He, he had this way of, I'm, if I'm going to be blessed, I'm, I'm, it's not just in a, in a relationship synergy. I'm going to have to manipulate the circumstances to get there. And I think all of us have a bit of Jacob in us, don't we? Depending on the season and time in life. This idea of if I'm going to experience goodness, I'm going to have to really fight. I'm going to have to, have to find ways to get there. And so this man who is, of course, we learned the angel of the Lord, the Lord, uh, an epiphany, a uh, revealing of God in, in uh, personal form, asks him his name. He knows his name, but he wants Jacob to say his name. His name, which in the ancient world, you know, those names, as we know in many cultures, and certainly the ancient Jewish culture, and talked about character, talked about circumstances of birth, talked about place, talked about uh, family lines, could talk about all these things. The name was more than just a name. And uh, so he says, say your name. Who, what, what's your name? And Jacob replies honestly and straightforward. He reveals his name to this man. Jacob confesses his nature. It is an act of confession. It is an act of saying, this is who I am. And I think... Jacob's probably dawning the realization that something greater is going on here in this moment. But before he could receive a blessing, he had to be open to radical change. He needed to acknowledge the truth before God and himself about who he was. The great Hollywood movie line all the time, right? Who are you, right? I don't know how many movies. Have any of you noticed? I don't know if you, do you have Netflix or am I the only like, okay, troubled person here? Okay, now, you know, and like in my queue all of a sudden, it maybe has to do with what I'm watching, but like there's been all of these movies that, that, are, that take place in Italy where people go down to Italy to find themselves. Like I was just shocked by, I don't know, I just watched another one the other night and you know, like Italy apparently is where all the epiphanies take place in these movies. There's like a whole subgenre. I don't even know what that is. I posted on social media and some, some smart alecky friend of mine said, what's the genre? It's italics. Or italicized, okay, whatever. Ugh, that was dumb, 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 dumb. But anyway, okay. He had to name who he was, and then he receives the blessing. Could we learn something about this, about authentic community, right? Can our church be a safe place for people to name who they are and just hold it out there before God 
and that we, one another being created in the image and likeness of God, can just be present with one another. I think, I think there's something there that we can pick up on, how we, how we can model what we see in the angel of the Lord in this text. So finally, let's get to the last little bit, and then we'll wrap up with some keys to take away. No longer will your name be Jacob, the man told him, but Israel or Israel, because you have fought with God and men have prevailed. And so God replies with Jacob's naming the truthfulness of who he is by identifying himself as the wrestling partner and by giving Jacob a new name. He gives Jacob a new name. And I just want to pause and say this about this overcoming piece that is named here. You have fought with God, so the wrestler reveals that it is an epiphany, an incarnate, a knowingness of God in a very particular way. We see these, by the way, in the Old Testament. Multiple of these are theophanies where God makes himself approachable and knowable in, in form, angelic, human, otherwise. But because you fought with God and with men have prevailed, and he gives them a new name. Boyd says this about this overpowering, and I like this, so I'm just going to quote it to you. He did not overcome in the sense of overpowering the Lord, per se, but he became Israel or Israel and overcame because he had the audacity to wrestle with God and not let him go until he received the blessing he was wrestling for. Because he had the audacity to wrestle with God and not let him go until he received the blessing he was wrestling for. It's interesting, I, I forgot to put this quote in there, but in one of in my studies over this, I, I remember there was a, one passage, and I don't know if it was Elie Wiesel, it was... Jewish survivor of Holocaust and all of that, uh, you know, just the horribleness and wrestling with a rabbi and told this rabbi, like, how can you believe in God after all of this? And the rabbi's response was, how can you not believe in God after all of this? This wrestling faith is indeed authentic faith. And here he wrestles with, and this is in the sense that he has overcome in fact, he has been a, God has called him into relationship, and he has entered into that. So what is this new name, Israel? It's God fights in one translation, or again, this wrestling faith. Before Jacob was, before Jacob was always seizing God's blessing by any means that would work by his own abilities. But now God names that, honors it, and takes it into a new and healthier place through this blessing. And finally, we have the last few verses. Jacob said, please tell me your name. Why do you ask my name? The man replied. And then he blessed Jacob there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, explaining, certainly I've seen God face to face and survived. Jacob wants to know a particular name of God. And yet we know when Moses encounters God, God says, I am. <laughs> Who are you? I am. Uh, okay, great. Can we get more specific? Not yet, but it's coming. Seeds of the gospel, it's coming, but not yet. Jacob, one of the ancient patriarchs of Israel, ancient uh, leaders of ancient Israel. The name Israel comes from him. <laughs> he then wants to know God's name and softening his request with the word please in verse 29. But God responds again with a question. Because God is about the relationship, asking Jacob, why are you asking? Text doesn't give us response, but it, apparently just, Jacob decided, okay, I'm not going to press it any further. I'm just going to let it go. But if God's question is the final word in the dialogue, it is not the final action. The final action in this verse, in verse 29, is that God blesses him. 
And God's not going to reveal more to him at this point. But, it, but Jacob, or now Israel, names it, I have seen the face of God. So the place gets the name, the face of God. And he's empowered to face the next day his brother Esau. No matter what may happen, he experienced the personal presence of God and it changed him. When you experience the personal presence of God in various ways, it will change you. It will draw you into wanting to live differently, to love differently. And it goes on and says, the sun arose as he crossed over and he was limping. And then it gives this story. And today, certain kinds of conservative Jews still follow this eating practice about that part of the hip eating. In the last pericope, we see this naming of the place, the face of God to encounter, his encounter with God face to face, and he limps away into the sunrise. And immediately following our text in Genesis 33, we have the meeting of Jacob and Esau. And before Jacob wrestled with God, he had feared the encounter with his brother. He was fearing man. He was fearing, and really from a human standpoint, he should because he's been really horrible to his brother. But it turns out to be a gracious encounter. Both of them have changed and grown. And when he gets to Esau, he says this in chapter 33, verse 10. And I don't want you to miss this piece because this is what this living encounter with God and wrestling with God will do in your relationships with seeing God in one another and seeing the divine image and each human being created in his image and likeness. And Jacob was able to tell Esau, I see your face as, I, as if I'm seeing the face of God. Think about that. Think about that if we greeted one another in our homes, in our church, in our neighborhoods. When I see your face, it's as if I'm seeing the face of God. It will freak some people out for sure. You might want to measure how you do that. But think about that. I don't see you as a sinner. I don't see you as uh, broken. I don't first see you as uh, the conflicts we have. I don't first see you as richer or poor. I don't first see you as a as, uh, new immigrant or Canadian been here forever and ever. I don't see you as whatever. What I, I see you as if I see the face of God. Think about how that might change our actions. Think about how that might call us into true holiness and true love. Woo, that's good stuff. That's encountering the Lord. That's what Jesus can do if we yield and we trust and lean into this power under. Okay. Oh, wow. I got to land it. Um, we're not doing communion today, by the way. I forgot to tell the worship team that because someone forgot to reorder our prepackaged communion snack packs. <clears throat> and by someone, that someone might be standing up here. Um, but uh, yeah. So let me just hit these one more time before we land. We're revealed, what's revealed here is something about a, dis, a distant God versus a relational God. He's a relational God. Say it with me. He's relational. He's relational. He's open to the creation, the creator. He's open to you. And when we pray, we engage in dialogue. We hear through our holy imagination. And if we learn the practices of silence, we can sometimes hear the voice of the Lord in our imagination. And occasionally people have other experiences as well. But God is relational here. This athletic contest, by the way, is also in some ways how we play with our kids, especially when they're young. It's a type of bonding. In a sense, this wrestling one's way to a closer relationship. Boyd says this, his goal in coming down to Jacob's level 
of God condescending and entering in, Jacob's level was to display just enough strength to motivate Jacob to display the stubborn tenacity he knew was in him. And he wanted to engage in this loving, long, or excuse me, engage in this long wrestling match as a means of revealing the unique face-to-face, willing-to-go-to-the-mat relationship he wanted to have with Jacob. Think about that. That could, I could do a whole sermon on that, an expression of, of uh, yeah, this divine encounter, this love. So God has revealed his relational. And the last little piece I want to say about this is a name change is also a faith change. Say it with me. The name change is also a faith change. Oh, that was weak. Play with me, those of you that are willing. The name change is also a faith change. From Jacob to Israel. (laughs) So before the coming of the dawn, the Lord says he's going to have to call it quits. And the text doesn't answer why. But again, remember the Terence Fretheim quote I shared earlier. Jacob refuses to let go until he's blessed again. And the all-knowing God knows his name. Engaging in dialogue is engaging with him. Authentic prayer. And calls him to, to, to name it. He names it. And then he gives him a new name. There's a tradition within Christianity that when one became a believer, they would get a new name. I don't think Baptists, generally most Protestants, haven't done this, at least not in recent history. This idea of receiving a new name. And oftentimes you chose that name based on maybe it's some uh, history person from Christian history, maybe someone that had a great influence in your life becoming a believer, but you received a new name. In fact, uh, we, we talk about this idea of our names being written in the book of life, and in the Revelation speaks of this as well. There was an old hymn that said, I've got a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. Yeah, something like, with my sins forgiven, I am bound for heaven. Okay, I'll spare you. That's way too high. Never more to Rome. Anyway, new name. This idea of a new name. He receives a new name in the Lord. This is significant again. He goes from the heel catcher, the striver, the trickster, to the one who wrestles with God, to the wrestler. And God sees that in him, calls that on him, and says, this is what true faith is. And indeed, this becomes the history, the good side of the history that we read about in Old Testament. Those that wrestle with God, not a trickster to avoid, but rather to honestly wrestle. He moves from heel grabber to the wrestler, the striving, the fighting with the Lord. And this is an honest faith And this is a faith that causes us as well to wrestle with God. I want to say one more word about Job. Uh, A a word, not one more, but a word about Job. We see the same thing in the book of Job, by the way. It's this Jacob-like wrestling match with God. And we see this throughout the Old Testament. Abraham questions God's justice when he announces plans to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 18. We see this in the life of Moses. We see this in the prophets. We see that this is indeed part of what it means to be an authentic follower of the creator that we wrestle, we enter in. And in fact, it is because of this that Job's life is blessed again. Not all the bad theology of his friends, by the way. There's authenticity that is there Another Boyd quote, authenticity that is there for unwilling, being unwilling to sweep questions, doubts, and complaints under a pious fake rug to avoid the pain of cognitive dissonance, tension in our mind. It's a faith that's not afraid of going to the mat with God. Sarah Koning says this, she said, certainly we all experience times when we feel as though we are wrestling with God and many of us are marked by the wounds we have sustained from our struggles. But this text Jacob's name, wrestling with the Lord, reminds us that God is wrestling with us and we grow 
in that process. Would you stand with me this morning as we pray? And the worship team, if you guys would lead us at least in one song as we close, that would be lovely. There's a time and place for childlike wonder, and I'm all for the letting ourselves be caught up into the play of the Spirit. That's what good worship often will invite us to, and certain kinds of prayer do that as well. And art and play and sport does that as well, and beauty. But there's also a time for questioning, cross-examination, realizing that play also makes space for naming what we don't know, for experiencing emotions we can't fully name or understand, and experiencing empowerment that's not easily quantified, this, this sense of placeness, this sense of somebodyness that is imparted by the Spirit of God. And we should hold together a questioning faith and a childlike faith and recognize they work together and coexist in a growing person and in a growing church and in a community that cares. And so I wrap this and land this for sure by saying, Will you move from a Jacob-like faith to receiving a wrestling faith? Will you embrace the wrestling with God? And in that, you will experience the blessing of the Lord. You are meant to grow. You are meant to thrive. You are meant to walk in blessing. But that blessing often is intention, is in this wrestling place. And so we learn today in our, our fifth storytelling series about this wrestling faith moving from Jacob to an Israelite kind of faith. Let's pray. Lord, we have come here today on this wonderful summer Sunday to celebrate. Maybe some of us are also grieving things in our lives or our world. But Lord, may we understand this call to have a faith that is engaged that does not shy away from questions, that does not need to hide, that does not need to run, but indeed can embrace and live in attention. And in that, we grow, Lord, and we experience your presence and your empowerment. And Lord, I thank you that you don't give up on us, that you call to us and walk with us even when we're walking away to the end of all things. And so, Lord, I pray today that maybe someone can take the next step now, that they don't need to wait until that day, but they choose now to give their heart, their allegiance to you. And God, may this church be a place where we wrestle, we grow. We understand that this book is not flat and it's multi-textured and the Spirit of God illuminates and brings and gives life and speaks in ways that uh, can change us and change the world. May we hold it so much higher than we often are taught, even with tension, even with striving. And God, I pray today for someone that just needs to know that they're beloved, that they'd hear that. I pray today for the person that maybe they're not ready to take a next step towards you, but you, through me, through this church, just wants to say to them that you are created in his image and likeness. And he is good. And if you're created in the good creator's image and likeness, well, you are beloved. And may that take root in your heart. And of course, we desire, if that's you, that you would give your allegiance to Jesus, but not under pressure, not under manipulation, not under guilt, but because you recognize that he is good and all good and loving and for you and wants his spirit to begin empowering you from within that's you today, you can say, yes, Jesus, I want to take that next step with you. I want to 
know you more. I want to invite your spirit to live within me. If you want more details or more help with that conversation, you can certainly talk to me or anybody here doing anything. We'd be more than happy to help you take your next steps towards Jesus today. We pray all these things in his name. If you're willing to say amen. amen. Well, we're not going to conclude with